Hey, yo, welcome back to another episode of the Us Block Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Curry III, and today, guys, 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 I don't think y'all know how big of a deal we have on the podcast today, but we have we have somebody that's that's Grammy, Grammy nominated, Grammy nominated. We have someone who I basically grew up around, basically I was in his studio all the all the time at least once at least once a week uh with my mama and um we have just an amazing human being overall husband father producer entrepreneur give it up for you do great junior ladies and gentlemen give it up give it up give it up i need to carry you around with me man so you can introduce (laughs) me everywhere (laughs) oh man um first things first how are you doing today how are you blessed i'm great man how you doing I love that. I'm great. Amazing. Glad we can, glad we getting this. Of glad course. This Not too many people can get me on camera. You wanted a few, so. Oh man. I, and I love that. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, Let's just get right into this, man. So one thing that I didn't know about you is that you lived in London. I did. For like, for the first couple, for the first long years of your life. First couple yeah. years of your life. Lived in London, right? How did that, how was that experience? How was living in London? How was, how was that? It was good. I, you know, my wife, Davina and I, we always talk about like, I think exposure opens your mind to what's possible. Right. So it's little things like London's a really old town, right? It's, 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 their history goes back centuries. Right. So when you learn in a place like that, you learn history in a very different way than you do in Africa or you do in America. And I've been blessed to live in, you know, parts of Africa, been blessed to live in London and then and, and blessed to live in parts of America. Mm-hmm. So I was able as a kid to kind of learn about, you know, both ancient history and modern history in London or in England. And then I came to America when I was 12 and I was learning a lot of the same history, but from a different perspective. Right. And so that caused me to, I think, question things because you know, as a kid, if you don't know any better, you kind of listen to adults and your teachers. And if they tell you something, it's a fact. Mm-hmm. But what happens when you go to school in one place and they tell you history from one side and you go to school in another place and they tell you history from the other side and it's two different histories. Mm-hmm. So then you start questioning like, well, if they're not right, then like there's two sides to every story and there's more than one truth. And then once you kind of start understanding that, mm-hmm. then it just makes you question like everything. It's why I question like, should I go to college or should I... Like, you know, all the things that were just kind of like standard, mm-hmm. I, I think it just forced me to grow up questioning a lot of things. But I loved it. It was it was a uh, fun times. I moved there when I was, shit, I don't even give me a line, eight, eight or nine. And we lived there until I was 12. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually lived in D.C. first. So I was born in, in Liberia. Right. I moved to D.C. before I was one. I lived in D.C. from like one to five. Right. And I was in Liberia from five to eight or nine. And then I was in London from nine, eight or nine to 12. And then Atlanta, Georgia, then up to the DMV. And that's, yeah. So what do you know, like, have you ever talked to your parents? Like what caused the move to London? Yeah. So there was a war. I remember it. Um, Liberia had a civil war in the late eighties, 1989. And so I guess now it's closer to like seven. Um, 8990. And my dad was in the government. He was a high level government position uh, person. So when the war happened, uh, they didn't think it was going to last that long. It was a coup. So it was like an internal war. It wasn't like another country invading. It was mm-hmm. members of the military were overtaking the government. And so the government and officials kind of left the country for a little bit while things were dying down. And the whole idea was like, oh, well, we'll just be in London for like a couple of weeks. So my parents went ahead. I stayed with my grandmother, my dad's mom. Mm -hmm. And then when the war got closer and closer, we finally fled the country, like right before things went really bad. Mm -hmm. And again, even after we left, it was always like, we almost almost lived out of suitcase because it was like, oh, the war is going to end. And as soon as it ends, we're going to go back home. Right. So that's 1989-90. And it's now 2021. And the war ended like 10 years ago. So it was like, we became like, refugees without knowing we're refugees at first and then once it was like oh, okay now we got to figure out what's going on right. 
Right. That's how we ended up in America because my pops and like my family ran out of money. Like it's really expensive in London. Yeah. And when you're just living and not making any money like that, the money's going one way. So then we finally moved to America where we had more family and kind of had to restart our lives. Um, right. Was that like you being so young and going through that? How how scary was that for you during that during that time? Uh, if you can remember, because that was. No, nah, I definitely remember. I'll, I'll say this: like I didn't remember how I, I didn't realize how close we were to the war. Like I remember the bombs going off at night, but it was weird. It was like I remember like at night you would hear bombs and fighting, but in the daytime it was like regular. You go to school, you you go to the the, the market. Like it, right. it was like two worlds, and and it's funny like what's happening now. It kind of is the example of like watching on TV people riding in the city. And knowing like it's not right outside your window, but you know it's nearby. Right. But you don't feel threatened because it's like when you see rioting, it's like, oh, okay, well, they're burning down, you know, downtown Atlanta, but we live, you know, 20 minutes from there. Right. But it was like, imagine if that happened. And then one day they're like, oh, no, nah, they're riding like down the block. And then it's like, oh, no, nah, they're, they're at your gate. Mm -hmm. That's how it like it inched closer and closer and closer. Right. And again, because my pops was in the, the, the government, mm -hmm. you know, we were at risk because, you know, the people taking over the government were trying to, kill the people who were in the government right um but but i didn't realize the severity of it and how like involved we were in it until i was much older and i realized like oh like it, that could have been really bad and then you start meeting people who who didn't get out right and and people who had to live through the war and people who who you know we all lost people people who saw people get killed and mm -hmm. you, you know you can only be thankful so for me it was like even though i was i was aware of it as i got older and i asked more questions and more importantly got more answers mm -hmm. I, it always made me feel a sense of like I was I'm thankful because like it could have gone the other way and why did God spare spare me when I could have been stuck there and or killed or anything? No, because you made house. Huh? Yeah, exactly. You, you got a purpose. You better do something with it. Right. Exactly. And I and I want to go well before I get to that. I want to get to just you and and music in general. Right. I feel like I feel like you and music have like this special connection. This special ongoing connection i see i see you working with manny wells i see i see what you're <laughs> i see what you're doing um nah, that's not like but seriously though like you and and music have had this special connection what where did that connection begin um have you ever like fell out of love with music have you had to fall back in love with music like let me like let me know i want to know that's a great question so where it began as long as i can remember music was a fabric in life. So, you know, I, I lived with my grandparents early on with my mom and my grandparents in DC. Right. And like, you know, like most black families, Saturdays, you clean in, you, you playing the records. So early eighties in DC, you're playing Marvin Gaye, you're playing Stevie Wonder. You know, it's like earliest, earliest memories, the happiest times are always connected to music in some way. Yeah. And when I moved with my pops uh, and I, I moved to Africa, moved to Liberia, my dad had a keyboard. He had an organ actually in the house. Right. And I just remember, like, it was, like, the one thing in the room that was, like, off limits in the living room. Mm -hmm. But, you know, a kid, if you tell a kid you can't touch something, that's the, like, that's the one thing you got to touch. So right. when he would go to work or whenever I was home alone, and, I mean, you know, doing the math, I was, like, five years old. So I'm, like, I look at my kids now realizing, like, at my kid's age, playing the keyboard was, like, there was no internet. There was no, like, iPad. So it was, like, in the daytime, you got to find stuff to do. Mm -hmm. If I could sneak in and play the, the, the organ for, like, 10 minutes that was like the greatest day and very early on i think my pops and my family realized like i could play by ear so even at like five six seven i could hear a note and, and copy it i could hear a tune and copy it and so it was always like a language for me like it was always fun and then over time it just became like it was an escape i never thought i'd be in music i like you could have never told me in high school like i'd be involved in mute like because i loved it too much i didn't even think you could make i never looked at it as a career option it was always an escape from reality. It's like, that's what I go do when I'm stressed. That's what I go do when I want to get away. Right. Um, and then I've always loved business. I've always loved how things work. So business to me is just problem solving. I love solving problems. Right. So when I learned how to like solve the problem of the business of music mm -hmm. and learn that I could do it with musicians and with artists and I can make a living doing that, that was like, I felt like I won a lottery. It was like, I would have paid to, to do that. Yeah. Hey. You and you did win the lottery in a way, I did. in a way, like you, you like, I feel like you won an, an emotional lottery. 
right? It wasn't. Man, that's tough. Yeah. yeah. You wanted you wanted an emotional lottery, right? You got to do well. You're still doing what you love, right? Mm-hmm. Your Every day. first love at that. Yeah. People go through a million things. Like this is my first love. Not this is not this not this. Like you found something. You was like nah, this. Yeah. Right? And that's and that's crazy. So when did it click to you, right? That oh snap. I know business. I know music. What if I just like combined the two? Put them together. Yeah. I was 27 years old mm-hmm. and I was in like a, a fork in the road in life. I could go get a job, a career. I was still an athlete at the time. So I could like double down and try to like, you know, do more in that, that world. But I really didn't love that. And I talked to my uncle, who's like my my closest advisor. It's actually his birthday today. When he sees this, it won't be, but happy birthday, Uncle Owen. Yeah. And I was like, oh, like, I'm stuck. Like, what do I do? And he's like, what do you love? And I was like, I don't know. Like you said, like the lottery. But I was like, I don't know. What, 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 how do you answer that? He's like, well, let me ask you this. What do you do when no one's watching? What do you do like in your free time? And I was like, oh, I play music. He's like, well, go figure out how to how to make music, how to play music and and, and do that for a living. Right. So I was like, all right. So the first thing I did was I went to a studio. I'd intern at this studio as part of like a high school program mm-hmm. back back in the day. Right. The owner then was now the new owner at the time was just like an engineer in the spot. Mm-hmm. Um, and my brother, actually, I think he had ran into him he was like, oh, I seen uh, this dude, Damon, you know, you should hit him up. So I go out there and I get an internship and I was like, yo, I'm 27. Mm-hmm. I'm old as hell to be an intern. No I, I got a bunch of skills. I know music. I don't really know how to engineer. I don't really know much, but I think I could learn and I can add value. And I just went there with the intent of like answering the question my uncle asked me, which is like, go figure out how to make money doing what you love. Right. And so I was like, all right, I'm gonna just be around music and figure out how to make money and just being around it. Again, I didn't go there saying I'm gonna learn the business. So I'm a, it was more so what's the problem? And that's, you know, once you see a problem, you try to solve it. That's all business is. It's like, I'm just going to try to solve this problem really well. And the problem at the time was, again, this is late 2000s, was there's a bunch of independent artists who don't have the structure and the support of a major label. So let me create the structure and the support as if it's a major label, but for independent artists. And if I can start there, then I can grow the business of music. And so to do that, I had to understand how business worked in music. So I, right. I just, I was like a sponge. I would sit and ask questions. I'd sit with the managers. Like mm-hmm. we work with the biggest artists in the world and I would never sit and talk to the artists. I would talk to their managers. I talked to their lawyers. I talked to their Ooh. agents because I wanted to know what the business was like. And when I talked to the artists, it'd be cool, fun daps yeah. with the people who were actually like cutting the checks and, and mm-hmm. writing checks. I was like, yo, how does that work? How does touring work? How does publishing work? What is royalties? What, what are right. these words? And as I started putting it together, you know, the internet's kind of solving problems in different industries. And I was like, oh, well, I think like I could use these tools to solve these problems. And then that's literally our house was born. I was like, what if I just apply what that's doing to music? Right. That's insane. You kind of saw the problem before people saw the problem. Yeah, a lot of people weren't talking about it then. I remember yeah. like, you know, when I first got into it, I have a cousin who's really successful in music. Mm-hmm. And when I told him I was starting a studio, he's like, cuz don't like it. You know, if you, if you cherish your, your sanity, don't, there's no money, you know, no one's making money in music. Everyone can record at home. There's no need for studios anymore. Right. And I was like, no, 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 there is like, mm-hmm. maybe not for some artists, but for a large group of artists, they need a place to call home. Right. And that's where the word house came house from. Came like, from. yo, let's, Let's build a spot that's like the home for artists. Mm-hmm. Well, the home starts with like the structure, which is the house. So we're gonna call it house studio. And then, you know, when when we built it, a lot of people again were like, "Nah, there's no money. There's no money." And I was like, "Nah, it's coming. Like mm-hmm. someone's gonna solve some." I didn't know Spotify was gonna come. I didn't know right. Apple Music was coming, mm-hmm. but I knew the solutions were coming because we saw yeah. it in real time. Yeah, those DSPs. Yeah. Because now everybody's like fighting for independent artists and everybody's fighting to get their masters and oh give me what i deserve mm-hmm. that's crazy you were kind of the person that was like nah we need to give these people what they deserve yeah. for that did yeah. you ever has this ever happened to you like have you ever was like man we need to fight for independent artists and somebody said you do shut up I'm like oh yeah know? nah i mean shoot i i got job offers from almost every major label man. and when i go you know sit in the interviews 
they'd say, yeah, so this is this is our deal structure. This is what we want you to do. Come in and, and A&R or come in and do this. And I'd be like, you know, y'all ever think about, you know, doing more favorable splits? Like, you know, mm-hmm. some of those deals at the time were like 88.12, meaning like for every dollar that came in, mm-hmm. 88 cents went to the label, 12 cents went to the artist. And then the artist recoupables and all the money they owed mm-hmm. came from the 12 cents. You so, know, you know how you know how you're shaking them people's boots by asking them to do that. But I, I was trying to explain to them that, like, I, I felt like if you look at the numbers, right, at that time, a major label might sign 10 acts a year. Right. And they might put all this money between on 10 people mm-hmm. for two of them to make them their money back. Right. And I was saying if you made it more favorable, you could actually spend less money per artist and make more money because take the same 20 million mm-hmm. you're going to spend this year. And instead of giving it to 10 people, which is two million a person. Mm-hmm do like half a million dollars and give it to more people and do a 50 50 split make it a true partnership right and now i think if you pick the right group of people mm-hmm. i think you'll end up with more people who are streaming and selling and buying and selling tickets and selling merch and doing film deals like right that was the future and again a lot of them i just feel like it, when you when it's all you know it's hard when someone comes along it's like i think it could be done different but that again stems from like growing up in different cultures and different countries at different periods of my life, right. it's very hard for me to just see a system and say, oh, okay, I'm going to do it because everyone says that's the way to do it. So when they're like, oh yeah, artists just give up their masters, I would say, well, why? Like, and it's like, oh, well, that's just how it's done. Like, not nah, it, it feels like there should be another way. Why would you give away the thing that you created? Right. Never, it never should belong to anyone else but the artist. Mm-hmm. Right? That just makes sense to me. It's not, you know, right. like, it's not like a, a painting that I'm painting and handing to someone else. It's a song. It lives forever. I created it. So, right. you know, we didn't have all the answers, but we knew there was a problem. And I think that was kind of, I won't say like I had the answers before everyone else. Mm-hmm. I just think we were very vocal in knowing that there was a problem. Right. And that's, but, okay. Do you think if those major labels, right, you went to was like, hey, this is the way you should be doing things. Because you, because it's crazy how you said, like well that like this is the future when now is the future future, like now is the future so do you think that you know listen if those labels would have listened to you right but then again like who are you to be listened to exactly who i was 20 something year old like yeah no no industry experience i hadn't broken a record i'd interned to people so it's like they would have been crazy to listen to me like but who but you are right you were right. Who would have known that that a 27-year-old with no business, music business experience at all, with nothing, would have been right? Yeah. Looking in 2021, you, you were 100% right. So do you believe that now, currently in 2020, if those labels would listen to you back then, that music would be in a better place now? Like the business of music would be in a better place now? Uh, I don't know if I can say it'd be better. I'll, I'll say this. I think the labels would have, wouldn't be the bad guy. Mm-hmm. Cause right now what's happened is with the shift. Now the labels have become the bad guy. You don't, right. you don't hear artists saying, Oh man, I just signed a Sony or I just signed a Warner. Like mm-hmm. in, in the early two thousands, it was a huge deal for an artist. You knew like when Wale signed, like that was like, mm-hmm. we were like, you, your pops, like we were celebrating that. That right. was like, we made it because someone it was like a stamp the labels don't have that stamp effect anymore right so it's like Mm -hmm. now you say everybody's now saying independence right Mm -hmm. it's almost taboo to be signed people are signing and not telling people Mm -hmm. because they're ashamed of it so i think i don't know if the industry would have been better but i think the labels would have been in a better position Mm -hmm. because now it's it's going to take a lot of work for the labels to undo the damage that everyone's paid attention to right okay okay all right Woo. got into a little tension there all right, good questions, man. Yeah. Um, but house, though, house, right? House, I, all right, so to all the viewers out there, right? I have spent some of my best moments in house studios. I learned what that's, that's what she, that's what she said, man. I learned what that, I learned what that meant. I, okay, this was like, uh, okay, that was like a terrible thing to start off with. Uh, just, just, just keep up that's with Inqua. If he's watching this, God damn Inqua. <laughs> I learned what that meant. Like, just just keep up with me, though, right? Um, met people, seeing things, man. I just running from different studios, hearing different music. Um, that it it really enhanced my musical ear. Being around all of y'all, 
in that one space in the end, especially the old house, that mm-hmm. little small little space, but it was so like, so great to be around that energy. Is that what you have planned? Was that what you have envisioned? Or was that like more than you have than what you planned? I mean, it's, I don't want to say plan because it, it's like, we, we knew, so how house started was I was working at another studio called Avalon that the spot that I went to to learn. Right. And like my cousin said, before we started house, a lot of the major studios were closing. Avalon was one of the top three studios in the DMV mm-hmm. and it was struggling at the time when I took it over. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when the, when the guy who, who ran it said, yo, I'm, I'm closing shop. If you can come up with the money to buy it, you got it. But if not, I got to sell it. I didn't have the cash. Now I understand business. I would have gone and got the money, mm-hmm. but everything happens for a reason. Um, so at that time, I had a Rolodex of artists, both nationally and locally. Mm-hmm. I knew how to engineer. I had a skill set. I had trust with people in the community. Right. And so I was like, all right, well, let me just start another studio. And so that's how we started house. It was more so just like the place I was working just closed. Mm-hmm. I don't really want to, you know, before I started house, I went to the other major studios and was like, hey, let me come work at your spot. I got some ideas. Mm-hmm. Same thing with like with the labels. And, and they were like, nah, we're good. Like, again, because... Mm-hmm. Now everyone's into like hip hop and auto tune and, and plugins and right. but again two thousand seven eight nine like mm. it what home studios wasn't even a thing yet so when they looked at me I just represented hip hop and most of those studios did not want hip hop acts in their studios right so when I was like man I got you know hundred plus artists and da 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 they I'm sure I mean I ran a studio so I know how many people have come to me and said that mm-hmm. but I really could do it right so when we started house again our goal was really just to get to the next month. We literally started with no money and was like, yo, we got 30 days to pay rent. Let's go. But I knew like we had to deliver an experience because we didn't have the history. We didn't have the Grammys. We didn't have the awards. We didn't have the experience. So like Mm -hmm. the only thing I could make sure was make sure when people come here, they have so much fun that they want to come back. If we can just deliver on that every time, make it the best experience possible, Mm -hmm. our business will be okay. I didn't know it would be as magical as it was. I didn't know the ma- like the magic was the people. So, mm-hmm. like you said, that small little space in an alley in Northeast DC, yes. in the hood, in the, hood. the epicenter of music in DC. Right. Not because I said it was, but because this magical group of people came together who really were all about the same energy of like, mm-hmm. let's just do something really dope. Let's just like, cre- like two in the morning, like. I remember like you and Jaden sleeping on like chairs and like we're in rooms producing and making yeah. records that end up getting on a Wale project or end mm-hmm. up getting on a, you know, a Roddy MC project. And then like the Logic project, it's like all these artists were coming up at the same time. Wale's mm-hmm. doing his thing and Tabby's killing it and XO and them are doing well. And it was like all these guys and they're like, all right, this guy Meek Mill comes through and now Pusha T comes through. It's like, we didn't plan for that. We just knew if we just made the vibe right, that people would want to be there. We never in our d- deepest thoughts thought, man, if we do this right, like T.I. is going to pull up one day. But he did. Like That mm-hmm. ended up being the cool thing. But the real cool thing to me was outside of the celebrities, the people who were there on an average day. That was the magic. The, right. the Inkwells and the mm-hmm. Dave Knox and the right. Jakes and the, you know, the, the, that group of people, the Murphs, like... Oh, shout out to Murph. Shout out to Murph. I just talked to him yesterday. That's like, that was the magic. Because I, mm-hmm. I loved it because I felt like I was the least talented person in the building. <laughs> like Simon Kim's editing our videos. Like this is like- Hey, shout Emmy out to winning. Simon. Simon's killing it right yeah, now. Yeah, it's like an Emmy winning, like yeah. producer, editor, like killing our, our YouTube content. Before YouTube content was a thing, yeah. we're shooting and editing and putting stuff out on YouTube. Mm-hmm. It's like- but we weren't doing it because like there was no monetization like our instagram and twitter and all that was popping before that was a thing because it was just like all this dope shit we're creating i was like we got to do something with it well let's put it out and that became our calling card like mm-hmm. damn i wonder what's going on in house today because every day it seemed like something crazy was going on right i blame you know what i blame y'all right the whole and my, and my mama the whole House Studios DC, that whole era, right? And my mama, I blame y'all for why I don't want to work a nine to five. Y'all made y'all made that being y'all job was like the coolest thing ever to me. I was like, wait, so y'all get to sit here and make music all day, and nobody like you, you, you your parents don't fuss you out because you got to go to school. Y'all ain't got no bedtimes. Y'all just sitting here and make music. Okay, I like 
this. <laughs> I really, I really like this, right? So I blame y'all for why I don't want to want a job, cause like, cause man, just seeing that, then being like, nah, I want to, I want to work like a nine to five. What? <laughs> Are you sick? Are you crazy? But um, I but I feel like this would be a great. Uh, time for a little story time for everybody that's new watching the Arsenal podcast. Hello, I'm your host, Eric Curry III, and uh, story time is like something new that we're doing here where the artist on the pod gets to tell a little story, and um, I would like to hear your favorite memory at house, right? There's There's been a lot. Ooh, favorite, favorite memory. memory. I don't even know. That's I'll pull one that jumps out at me because it became mm-hmm. a... Uh, a phrase, catchphrase for the entirety of our time at house. Right. So our big thing was we wanted to be the cleanest studio in the world, right? Mm-hmm. Like I've been to dozens of studios and the one running thing with studios where they were all filthy, right? Mm-hmm. The engineers were dirty. They didn't shower. <laughs> Bathroom stank. The carpets had never been changed. Like mm-hmm. people smoke. So like, I was like, all right, well, if nothing else, we're going to be clean. Right. Uh, I don't know where I was this day, but I, I, I left, like I wasn't in a building, which wasn't a normal thing. <laughs> and I get a call from someone saying, yo, B.O.B.'s in town. And B.O.B. at this point is like hot. He's like one of the biggest, yeah. it's like Bruno Mars B.O.B., like that B.O.B. Yeah. It's like, yo, B.O.B.'s in town and he heard about how she wants to come through. And I'm like, all right, cool. So I get back to the studio and it is uh, it is dog. It is like disgusting. Like, no, like it's never been this dirty before. Wow. And I just went off on the team and I was like, yo, like, BOB will be here in 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. Y'all got to get this joint spotless. Mm-hmm. And when I say the team worked, they were like magical elves. Like, they turned that and built it around in like 18 minutes flat. <laughs> you would have thought it was a brand new building. The, the floors were shiny, the teeth, like, they mopped, swept, dusted, cleaned, Febreze. Uh, Lysol, armor, armor, all like it was the cleanest that building had ever been. And so Bob walks in, and the first thing his uh, team says, his uh, DJ TJ was like, "Damn, this joint is dope. This is like a hotel or a nightclub." <laughs> and so everybody smiled and looked at me. It was like, "Told y'all we was gonna clean it." And so from that day on, we called that Bob clean. Like if you ever see Jake, uh-huh. just be like, "Hey Jake, what's Bob clean?" And you'll see like dread come over his face because that was like that set the standard. Because once they did that in that short period of time, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, y'all never have an excuse again. This building has to always be clean. Right. Because y'all have just shown me that y'all can clean an entire building in like 18 minutes. And like when I say clean, that jump, like you could have eaten off the toilet. Like it was like <laughs> spotless. So BOB clean. That's probably one of my favorite moments just because like it also showed the power of our team. Like we, we did the impossible every week in that building. That team, like, I've worked with a lot of people. I've worked with a lot of groups. And that team is still near and dear to my heart because, like, we did the impossible over and over again. Yeah. It was magical. That building was magical. The creativity yeah. was the, the creativity was magical. Yeah. Right? And, again, like, I don't, I don't think it was y'all's intentions to inspire, like, me and Jaden, right? Like... Cause now I'm, even though this is like really like, this is like, it's just weird how this comes full circle. I'm just kind of like building off of what I learned being like five, six, seven, eight years old, just being around. Like I'm just building off what I learned. And while at the time it wasn't, probably wasn't y'all intentions for just like, oh no, this is just Lil E, he cool, whatever. Like he's just going to, he's just going to be here. Right. Mm Mm-hmm. But I was really soaking up information like, oh, no, this is logic. Oh, no, this is what you do with logic. Mm-hmm. Oh, Simon taught me how to use Adobe. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, Tom, Simon taught me how to like write scripts on Adobe. I started writing mm-hmm. scripts. So all of that just kind of molded like who I am and like the creative being that I am today. Yeah. So really, I owe all of that to you guys. Like, y'all... That's- that that's your mom and your pops because you was there. You got double dose. Your your mom would yeah. be there working with half the projects. Your pops mm-hmm. would be there working on half the projects. So you were there just as much as Jaden. And, and yeah, that was not our intention. Yeah. We were more worried because we knew how vulgar our, our language was, and and like you said, that's what she said in the jokes and all that. <laughs> but I, I love it. Again, that's all exposure, and that that's why like even now in life, a lot of what we do is we try to get 
people of all ages exposed to more things because we see the power in that. We didn't understand that then, but we see the power in it 10 years, 11 years later, where it's like, if more people who are young, people of color, women were exposed to not just the arts, but just different things, right. what would the world look like? Like, how, you know, where you said you don't want a nine to five because you know something else exists. Mm -hmm. So you got to think there's so many people who don't even know that something else exists. Right. What happened to those people? No. Again, being owning your own business isn't for everybody, but there's somebody out there right now who's built for it, and they don't even know that that that's an op that that's an option. Message. Right. What was your most okay? What was your welcome to the music business moment? Like when like that's a, that's so a that's so, so like I, everybody has one. Every like everybody who's like really deep into music has one. Um. I want to know like yours, like where you was just like, oh snap, nah, like this, like everything was fun and games, but whoa. Uh, that's an easy one. So when I went to Avalon, mm -hmm. we worked with Def Jam and uh, Def Jam was probably like our number one client at the time as far as like feeding us work. Big, big boy label. Big boy label. Yeah. And at, at that time, this is like, you know, Def Jam's, you know, killing it. Yeah. And we, uh, we had a good relationship with them. So when they come down, we had different rooms, mm -hmm. play beats, play tracks, play ideas. And I produced like at the time, I, I really just wanted to be a producer. I wasn't thinking business or nothing. Right. And this was pretty early on, too. And there was a day where I played a record for a group of guys from from Def Jam, mm -hmm. some A&Rs, some producers. Everyone was playing records, but I played records. I played this one record and everyone in the room was like, oh, that's a joint. Like mm -hmm. That joint goes. So one of the guys in the room who's he's actually still in the industry now and pretty high up, mm. he was like, "Oh man, like let me uh let me let me let me see that joint. Let me I'm, I'm gonna go pitch that joint. See see if I can get you placement." Again, I never had a placement. I didn't know what a placement was. Right. He's just like, "Wait, like, I do this for fun on my own." You talking about playing the records for people? Cool. He's like, "Yeah, I know Fifty Cent, know this, know that. Cool." So a couple months pass by, and then I'm listening to the radio and I hear the beat play, and I'm like. Like you know when it's your like your song, yeah. like you know the first note, the mm -hmm. joint play, and I'm like, yo, what's this? And they're like, yo, it's it's that new da da da. I won't say the artist's name. I don't put nobody on blast. And I was like, what? He's like, nah, this that so and so. Nah, can't be. Like that's my track. Go this, back. This that computer. Press play. I press. I go find the joint. Press play. I'm like, yo, they just tweaked a little bit, but that's my record. Like that's my beat. So I called a dude, no answer. Called a dude, no answer. Send him an email, no answer. Send him an email, no answer. So finally, I go to his boss because mm -hmm. uh, his boss is who booked the time with us. Right. I was like, yeah, trying to get in touch with your man, you know, a record that I played, da da da. Mm -hmm. And his boss responded and was like, uh, "Is there proof of this? Do you have proof of this?" And I didn't. And and what the way he asked it though was almost like, "If you have proof, we can have a combo. If you don't," you wasting your time. Right. And I was like, oh, like you said, it's, it's not sweet. Like, mm -hmm. I get it. Because that record played on the radio for years. Like, that would have changed my life. And, like, I would have, that would have changed a lot of things for me. That would have given me a, a major placement with a major artist. Right. Would have got me publishing checks. I would have gotten a publishing deal. Like, but I'm glad it didn't happen because I didn't want to be in that system in the long run. That was before I really understood the business of music. Right. That actually was the trigger that made me say, let me learn about the business of music. Mm -hmm. Because like next time that can't happen. I didn't know what a master was. I didn't know what publishing was. I didn't know what a royalty split was. I just made music for fun. I'd been doing that my whole life. Mm -hmm. So when this record gets taken and I'm, I didn't realize the money. And then when my mentor, Paul Miner was like, uh, he used to call me genie ass, like genius, but genie ass. He'd say, you know, genie ass, that, that record probably making that dude 15 grand a month right now. And I was, I was sick. Mm -hmm. Cause I'm I'm eating ramen noodles and and like Arizona iced teas and like literally scraping by two dollars to my name and a record I created is on the radio. But on the flip side, it also let me know that I made music that people appreciate. So that's why I felt confident moving forward. Cause I was like, well, he like that. I can make a hundred of those. Mm -hmm. Like I I know what works then. Right. And the funny thing is, I saw the producer years later and he tried to play like he didn't know me. He hit me with a dap, like, hey, nice to meet you. And I was like, no, nah, not nah. like we met. 
Avalon back in the day in, in, in uh, Maryland. And he looked at me, and I think he realized who I was. I was like, no, that's all good, man. I love what you're doing. Keep it up. Right. And it was just, that's all. Because, again, you chalk it up to the game. It is what it is. Mm-hmm. 15K. And it worked out. It worked out in our favor. 15K a month. I'm sorry. I just, oh, that number just kept replaying in my head. Trust me, it did for me, too. I was, <laughs> I was broke with a joke back then. <laughs> Woo! Um, man, I'm so I'm sorry. That was a, that was a moment. Yeah, that's all good. I've I've heard worse. You know, I've 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 met a lot of the people who signed contracts mm-hmm. and got the placement and were stuck for seven eight years and, and couldn't do anything. So like, right. my story is one where I learned and I learned the first time and it put me in a position to win after that. Right. But let's let's go on to something something positive. Amen. The positive. So, a little little birdie told me right. That somebody, I don't know, just a little little rapper named Rhapsody. I don't know. Then like some other producers, just I don't know, Ninth Wonder, just somebody, just somebody <laughs> little, right? Um, they came to house. You know, they just wanted to. You know, Rhapsody just wanted to record a verse or whatever for um, man, what's his name? <sighs> I think his name's like like Kendrick Lamar or something. I don't know. He signed to like TDE or something. I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I'm not that familiar. But um, <laughs> but when when you got that call, right? Like, hey, yeah. Uh, wait, wait. First of all, what was the call? How was that? What? It was. So the funny thing is, so Ninth, Ninth's my brother. That's, that's big bro. I'm going to send this to him when we put it out. Hey, he, funny. uh, he comes to D.C. or used to come to D.C. every year mm-hmm. for his birthday in January. Mm-hmm. So it was like a running thing every year. He got a lot of family, a lot of friends there. He'd come to D.C., hang out, he'll do a studio session, right. and then he'll go back to Carolina. So we've been together a couple times before during this this mm-hmm. little run. And then this time when he called, he was like, hey, bro, I'm, I'm in town. I got you tickets for the party. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I also need a favor. We recording the joint but can't nobody be in the studio and ninth's not Hollywood. So like when he said that, I was like, Hmm, like, all right, mm-hmm. I got you. He was like, yeah, so we're going to pull up, but nobody can be there. He's like, mm-hmm. no, no problems. So then he calls me like two times again. He's like, Hey, uh, nobody's going to be there. Right. He's like, yeah, no, no, I'm good. Cause I think at the time they were thinking maybe, uh, Kendrick might come through or they weren't mm-hmm. sure whatever the case is. But finally, when they get there, he was like, yeah, we'll engineer it ourselves. You know, we, we don't need any help, but we're working on something and nobody can listen to it. Nobody can hear it. Right. So Kendrick's super secret with his projects. He's like, Cole, like that, that class of artists, right. they don't do snippets. They don't do previews. They don't do leaks. Um, and then when the joint dropped, uh, Ninth texts me. He's like, hey, like, I'll, I'll send you the details, but this joint's special. And then like a couple months later, he was like, hey, how, how you spell house? Like, how do you want to spell? Like, what what credits do you want? It's like, for what? He's like, for that that song we worked on is for Kendrick's project. It's like, Kendrick Lamar? He was like, yeah. <laughs> like, all right. <laughs> I sent him the info. And then uh, they sent a copy of the, the, the physical vinyl over. And we were in the credits. Uh, and obviously, Rhapsody killed that joint. Ninth engineered it. And Complexion was on the, what, to Pimp a Butterfly joint. That joint's. Did big numbers. It did yeah. Grammy winning, Grammy nominated, Grammy everything. So top you, album of the year. So when you heard that, like y'all was Grammy nominated, right? What was what was what was that like? So previously, I know previously in the podcast we was talking about how you you was like, ah, oh, yeah, I'm not Grammy nominated. I didn't have nothing. So we're just building this, right? Now you're there. You're, yeah, you're that's the creme de la creme mm-hmm. of of awards and music what was that it was it felt good i felt really good for the team because when we first started house we didn't have the money to pay people we like we didn't know what we're doing right so like i just remember i promised everybody that if they worked hard it would pay off Mm -hmm. like if if you put in the work if we work together if we can be selfless like if, if we can put the team first that we will win and when one of us wins we all win so so when I got the word, like, yo, I think this joint's going to be Grammy nominated, we were excited then. Then when the, the day dropped and it was like five-time Grammy nominated, like album of the year, record of the year, hip-hop album of the year, it's like 
that to me was more for the team. Like, yo, y'all did it. Like, mm-hmm. y'all built this. Like, y'all built a spot. Like, there's thousands of studios in the world. Like, mm-hmm. people of that caliber are choosing to come and work in your space. You got to be proud of that because that means that, like, like you said, it's, it's as big as it gets. So if if they want to work out of your space and Grammy records have come out of the microphones that you use every day, mm-hmm. the console, the speakers, the then now that sets the bar for you. If you work out of this space, you don't have any excuses. Mm-hmm. Cause like you said before, we, we could have used excuses, right? but we use that as motivation. Mm-hmm. Now you don't have excuses. Now you just have motivation because right. you can't say, well, I need better mics or I need like, they did it out of what you have. Mm-hmm. So now go get it. So that, that to me was like, it set the bar. Mm. It I felt good. It. it felt great. I'm not gonna lie. It felt great. It did. Man. I will. Man, the Grammys. Did y'all did y'all win? We did. I got a hip hop album of the year. Mm-hmm. Hip hop album of the year. Yeah, hip hop album of the year. Oh man, congratulations! That's a big. Didn't one. get album of the year, which we should have. I think Macklemore stole that, but he did. He wow. Yeah, that's crazy. So that's that's the biggest of all, but. Mm-hmm. But yeah, now nah, we'll take you. I'm happy to get the nomination. Happy to be a part of it. Happy to do it with cool people too. Rhapsody is sis. Uh, ninth is bro. And we've done multiple records. So we did that. Then we worked on Rhapsody's project. Uh, they did a couple records for that out of there with Terrence Martin. Mm-hmm. And then Anderson Pack did some joints there. So like Ninth always comes through, always came through and bought people. He always bought like love. And, and, and for him, I know it's always important to show the black business. Like that was his thing. He was like, oh, like, he's like, yo, we go around, there's a lot of studios, y'all black owned, y'all a couple, y'all got y'all together. Like, right. I'm gonna bring everybody through just so they can see what's possible. That's dope, man. And now you're in Atlanta, Gary, got, got churn. Multiple churns. Multiple churns. Uh-huh. And now you are, are an, ad, an advisor. What is that? What is an advisor? It's a fancy way to say uh, people get to call me a lot. (laughs) Uh, Nah, like just, you know, over time you learn a lot. And in business and life, in relationships and access. And when now I see other people who are where I was when I first started. And and I had this, thank God. There were people like Mark Barnes and and other mentors who definitely like took me under their wing and, and showed me the ropes. It's like, I can help you avoid half of the headaches that I know you're going to run into. Things you're not even thinking about, I can think about it for you. Right. And so, like, when someone's starting a business or they're starting a company or they're running a company, mm-hmm. sometimes just having an advisory board, people who have been there, people with expertise, people who can help you connect some dots sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you need a lawyer, they're going to give you a good lawyer, someone who's in the industry, not like their homegirl who just graduated and doesn't right. know what they're doing. You know, because all those things, like we've been there, like you don't know what you don't know. But when you have someone around you who's done it before, it, it actually helps. So that's that's on advisor is just somebody who can be like, yeah, bro, I know you're thinking to do that, but this is what could happen. Because right. sometimes when you don't have that advisor and you're like, you know, we all think everything we do is brand new, but there's nothing new under the sun. That was my mentor's like favorite phrase. He's like you, if you want to learn how to change the industry, learn what happened before, because there's nothing new under the sun. If you can figure out what happened before, just do that now right. and that's all life is in general life business it's all the same so if you ever going into business like and, and you're not sure about something just find a person that's done it the best you've seen mm-hmm. and ask them what their path was and it's not one way to do something doesn't mean you have to do it that way but i guarantee you they're going to say something in that conversation that you're not thinking about mm-hmm. and and you may still do what you were going to do anyways but at least you now have that thought right man you do i'm gonna have my people hit your people and we, I don't, cause you got my direct line. You, you yeah, call I'm, me anytime. I'm going, yeah, that's what I mean. By my people hit your people, I mean me, me hit you. Um, <laughs> yeah, because I'm, you know, we got, got, oof, got to talk to you about some things. Uh, yeah, I'm always here. Yeah, but um, thank you, man. This was dope. This was, nah, dope. thank you. This is great. I'm proud of you, man. Like I said before we started, this, I've been watching, I've been listening, and I'm, I'm super proud of you, man. It takes a lot to do it, like, you know, the. The big thing in life and, and even with houses, 
just go. You know, you ain't gotta. I didn't know what I was doing, right? I'd be lying if I was like, man, I had it all figured out and I knew, like, I did not. I was terrified every day doing it. I was right. terrified. Like, I just knew I was going to look stupid because it's like, you know, like, one day someone's going to figure out I don't know what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. But the reality is no one knows what they're doing. Like, I still don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. I, yo, I'm, I'm a dad, but, like, I'm a dad for the first time, right? Jaden's mm-hmm. about to be 17. I've never had a 17-year-old before, right? right? Like, it's never had three kids before. It's like everything's new. So... For me, like it's it's that that's the the beauty of it is like I see someone like you who's doing it, who's recording, who's putting it out, who's getting better, staying right. consistent. Mm-hmm. Those are the people that win. That's all it takes. Mm-hmm. As long as you you doing it all the time, eventually something gonna open up. You don't know which one of these conversations will be the one that like put you right. on your path, or someone watches it, or the right person sees it, or the interview blows up because of the right timing. Or ten years from now, someone's gonna find archive of one of your interviews and use that in a film, and then like right. you just never know. Like I said, with Ninth Wonder, the, the crazy thing about Ninth is I met Ninth because my best one of my best friends from high school mm-hmm. shot Ninth shot Little Brother's music videos when I was in college. Really? So when he was at North Carolina A&T, he would call me down to help him shoot music videos in North mm-hmm. Carolina. Like so, it's like the years that have to pass for people to understand like. The road to that Grammy didn't happen when I had house. The road to that Grammy happened years, 10 years before that. Right. When my best friend was in college and he was like, yeah, I'm shooting this group called Little Brother. Can you come help me shoot? Like, it's like, Yo, I never heard no Little Brother. What is that? Like, Monte and then this dude named Ninth. It's like, I don't know them, but I, I, I just wanted to learn. I just want to go do something cool and support my boy. Right. That relationship 10 years later becomes, hey, man, you got a studio? Oh, and? Oh, you Pat's boy? Oh, let's go. So it's like, like you just never know them dots gonna connect but if you're just there and you're ready and you and you and you're working right it's a lot easier for someone to call your number but if you're just sitting at home playing video games and looking at shoes online and scrolling on instagram it's really hard for your number to be called it could happen but it's just a lot more people doing that than they are actually recording and putting out their own content that's facts and i would and i know it's the this is the this is the king right here so you will already know i have to get his dead or alive ladies and gentlemen this is your first time tuning into the Arts Block Podcast. Hello, I'm your wonderful, beautiful, melanated host, Eric Curry III. This is your uh, this is your first time watching the Arts Block Podcast. Hello, this is your last time watching the Arts Block Podcast. Well, goodbye. But uh, Dead or Alive is basically a segment where I ask the artist who they would like to work with that is dead or alive. Now, they could choose one artist. They can choose 100 artists. Please don't choose 100 artists because I still have to edit this podcast. But you do, your dead or alive is special because you work with people. You work with a lot of people, right? You can't name any of them. You can't name any of them. You can't rework with nobody you've already worked with. Okay. That's all right. So go ahead. So I'm going to start with the dead list. That's easy for me. Okay. I'm sure you heard it before, but Michael Jackson's on that list. Anything I would have worked with Michael. Ray Charles, one of my favorite artists of all time. Mm -hmm. And Whitney Houston. Ooh, that's a good I could, those are my three, like, of course, Biggie's cool, but like, I feel like those three artists, I would have been a kid in a candy store. I would have literally, those people I would have paid to work with. Like, don't even give me, <laughs> just take my money. I'm going to sit in the room. And then Alive, mm-hmm. uh, there's actually a short list. I mean, it just erased it, but I have like a hit list. So, mm-hmm. uh, I love uh, Tierra Whack. Wow. Like, I, like, I'm gonna figure out a way to work with her somehow, like because I just she's think dope. she's got a crazy dope energy. She's dope. And she's the kind of artist that you could have fun with a record and just like mm-hmm. go anywhere. Right. So she's on my hit list. Um I would love, love, love to work with this artist Yeba. Um mm-hmm. I found her on a on a so far video like five years ago. Mm-hmm. And her voice still to this day, like randomly, I'll play her records just like give me goosebumps. Mm-hmm. Um and then what's the dude named Toby out of out of Houston? Hey, Toby. Yo, like yeah. that dude. Cause I just I love the energy. I love like husband wife energy. I love the how he how he spoon feeds the 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 information in such a cool way. Like yeah. I love his consistency. Like, I'm a big thing. I'm I'm big on consistency, man. I just feel like people who are consistent win. Um so so that's that's probably my short list. And then dope, man. uh there's an artist I've he said, don't say anyone I work with. I have like now that I'm actually like producing and making records again, like right. actual records myself. Um, if I could go with a DMV artist, 
Mm-hmm. I love Nucci. Really? Yeah, Nucci, the the rapper. Like, yeah. I feel like he's a he's an ode to the the hip hop that I love. Like mm-hmm. he's he's young. He's 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 current, but he 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 raps with substance. He raps like you listen to what he's saying. He raps in a way that he makes you listen to what every word and like why he's using those words. Yeah. So he's on my hit list. I just text him. I was like, man, we gonna I'm gonna make a record for you. So mm-hmm. yeah. Hey, that's dope. Well, you do. Ah, thank you. I know you're a busy man. Thank you for right. coming on to the podcast. This has been an thank amazing you. episode. Um, is there anything that you want to say to the people before we before we get off? No, nah, I mean, like I said earlier, just do it, man. I, I feel like if, if you're watching this podcast and you're watching a young man who grabbed the microphone, got his computer and said, I'm going to just start having conversations and putting them out like mm-hmm. That takes a level of vulnerability. Like, you know, we all go through the same thing. Like, right. do I sound good? Do I look dumb? Are people going to pay attention? What if I put it out and no one plays it but my mama? Like, yeah. you know, you go through all, and we all go through that. The biggest artist in the world to the the startup, smallest artist in the world. Right. But just do it. Like, and it don't have to be, you know, if you're an artist listening to this, especially, mm-hmm. please just do it. Like, we get in our own way too much. We, we get in our own heads, get in our own way. And the world needs more art. The world can never have too much art. Message. Woo. Ain't that the truth. And well, thank y'all, everybody. One, two, three, four, five. I don't know how many people watching this. I'm just counting. Uh, but thank everybody who's watching this episode of Arsball Podcast. Um, I have been your host, Eric Curry the Third. You can follow me on Instagram at Eric Curry the Third. You can follow the podcast at Arts Block Podcast. Um, all of you do's information and uh, email and Instagram that will be linked in the bio. Um, yeah, man. Uh, if you're listening on YouTube, make sure you like, make sure you comment, make sure you subscribe, make sure you turn on post notifications so you can be notified every time I would drop a podcast. Um, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, make sure you give me a five star and a review. If you're listening anywhere else, shout out to you. Remember that artists never die. And I'll see y'all next week. Peace.